nothing will take the wind out of your sails like discouragement. Not anything. Discouragement just takes the strength, takes the joy, robs you of your peace, and just puts in your mind, well, maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just quit. Maybe I should just put up the white flag and walk away because I've tried and it's not brought the results I thought, or I haven't had the, the, um, I haven't had the, the, the reaping that I thought I would have, and I'm just discouraged. Discouragement makes you not want to get out of bed in the morning. You don't wake up saying, hallelujah, Lord, it's a brand new day. You wake up saying, good Lord, it's morning. Discouragement. So I want to talk to you today. I'm, I'm going to just preach one message on this, but I'm calling it, let me encourage you. How many of you could stand a little bit of encouragement? Come on, a little bit of encouragement. How many of you have dealt with discouragement lately? Just tell the truth. All right. Amen. Now, let me encourage you. I want to read out of Hebrews 10, 24, and, I, and then I'm going to go to 1 Peter, and I'm going to give you several reasons to be encouraged today, okay? Let's give the Lord a hand for that, because we need that. <clears throat> we need that. Now, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on means encourage. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. So even way back in the first century, there were people ditching church. And they said they're in the habit of doing that. And he said, don't be like them. But let us, read it with me, everybody, encourage. Okay, that's five of you. Let's try that again. Encourage one another. Now, is he saying the preachers are supposed to do that? No, he said who? Churchgoers are to do what? Encourage one another. That's one of the reasons for church. Encourage one another. We're not to get in here and gossip, run people down, or talk about the weather or the latest business deal. We're to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. You ought to be encouraging one another more than ever as you see the return of Jesus on the horizon. Now, let me ask you, is he on the horizon? Are we in the last days? Are we in the last of the last days? So could Jesus come at any moment? Yes. So we ought to be turning to one another and encouraging one another. You ought not let somebody out of church till you have encouraged them. Amen? You look great today. How you doing today? Can I pray for you today? Um, God is with you. He's on you. I sense that God's doing good things in your life. Um, I mean... Lift one another up, not tear one another down. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for the word of God, and I pray that you will help us, Lord, to leave this building encouraged, but also as encouragers. In Jesus' mighty name, thank you, Lord, for your word prevailing. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Amen. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian? I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Raise your hand if you've heard somebody say that. Don't tell me if you've ever said that, but somebody else has said that. All right. So I see a lot of hands on that one. Now, out of the folks that you've heard make that statement, let me ask you a question. How many of them are truly living a Christian life that glorifies God? The people who have said, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, how many of those people are living a life that truly lifts up Jesus and glorifies God? Uh, you're right, not hardly any, because it doesn't work, because God gave the local church for a reason. I was talking to somebody this week 
uh, about the need to go to, to church, just to be in church. And they were telling me, well, you know, I'm just doing, I'm really doing fine not being in church. And I said to them straight up, I just said, no, you're not doing near as well as if you were in church or God is a liar because God gave the local church, not just so that we can have a religious meeting, but he gave it for spiritual purposes. And one of those is that when we go to church, we encourage one another and we get encouraged by one another. And so he that waters will himself be watered and the encourager becomes the encouraged because what you sow, you you reap. Amen. We're to encourage. I can't tell you how important it is that we walk in encouragement and not discouragement. The devil's a master at discouraging us, but Jesus Christ majors on encouraging us. Now, um, some professing Christians, this is what I'm told. Some professing Christians have gotten out of church because they got hurt. And I understand that. I've been hurt in a local church many times. But we get out of local church because we got hurt. Somebody wronged us. Somebody gossiped against us. Some, somebody in leadership hurt our feelings. And we just pick up our marbles and go home. And we get out of local church. And the devil uses that offense to get us out. Other people will tell you, I got out of local church because I'm just too busy. I got kids to raise, bills to pay, places to go, things to do. And, I, and I, it's, I'm just too busy to be involved in local church. And so in, in saying that, they're, they're, now I understand if you have to work, say, on a Sunday. I understand that. But for the most part, busyness has to do with priorities. Amen. And how many of you have ever noticed that people will prioritize what they really like, what they really love? I mean, you give somebody a Dallas Cowboys ticket, and, and they're going to move heaven and earth to be at that game since they got the ticket. Now, it doesn't matter if it's snowing, raining, sleeting, earthquaking. They're going to be at that doubt because why? Because they love it. And so that you prioritize what you love. And for the most part, people who get out of local church uh, saying they're too busy have got mixed up priorities because when we come to church on Sunday, we're basically saying to God, hey, you get a part of the, of the first day of my week. You get a part of it. I'm giving you a part of it. I'm showing you, God, that you are important to me. But not just you, God, but also the people of God. Because when you're in church, it encourages others to be in church. When you're involved, they're involved. When you get plugged in, it sends a message to everybody around you that church is a part of your top priorities, and that glorifies God. The fact is, if you get out of church, life is too intense. Now, let me just get real with you today. Life is too intense to go it alone. Because we're living right now in a devil-infested, sin-infected culture. I've never seen the American culture darker, more troubled, more turbulent than, than right now. More full of incredible, dark uh, sin that just grieves the heart of God. And this world, folks, will take you down if you don't have fellowship with the saints of God. It will take you down. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth? This world will consume you, it'll destroy you, it'll allure you, it'll entice you, it'll draw you, it'll tempt you, it will, it will try to teach you, it will try to preach to you, it will try to shape you and mold you into its own image. And that's why the Bible says we need church. We need to come to church and encourage one. Now, I'm not here to preach about coming to a local church. I'm going somewhere with this. 
Because one of the reasons for local church is to encourage one another to walk in the faith and to be strong and don't give in. Don't bend, break, bow, or back down, but stay strong in God. That's one of the reasons of local church. And, and so we don't need to be fair weather Christians that only when the weather is fair are we there. Amen? Hint, hint today. Right when you think you're doing just fine without local church, then it seems like the enemy suddenly out of nowhere will swoop in for the kill. Charlie Brown from the Peanuts cartoon once said, it always looks darkest just before it gets totally black. And that's sometimes true even for believers. You're walking along, cooking along, walking with God, seeking God, and all of a sudden something happens from this direction and then that direction, then another direction, and all of a sudden... Troubles are piling up on you. And if you're in church, you have a source of encouragement. You have a source of hearing the word, of worshiping God with the saints. But if you're out of church, you're alone. And those troubles come in batches. Lots of things all at once from every direction. And you feel overwhelmed. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon put it like this. Accumulated distresses increase each other's weight. They play into each other's hands, and like bands of robbers, they ruthlessly destroy our comfort. Troubles come from everywhere. Financial troubles, family troubles, marital troubles, temptation troubles. So we need to be encouraged regularly, and that's one of the reasons God gave the local church. Can we thank God for the local church today? Yeah. Now, in 1 Peter... The Apostle Peter gives us several reasons to be encouraged. He's going to encourage us. And I want you to listen to what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 6. He says, so be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Now listen to Peter's encouragement, because this is what we ought to be hearing in church. This is why we come to church, to hear things like this. So be truly glad. Everybody say glad. He didn't say, so be truly sad. You ever, ever, have every reason in the world to be truly sad. No, he said, no matter what's going on around you, be truly glad. Why? There's wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, and many of us are in that right now, most of us in this place are experiencing trials for a while, but he says, listen, even though you're having trials right now for a while, many of them, different ones, he says, be truly glad because there's wonderful joy ahead. Amen. There's wonderful joy ahead. You know, aren't you glad the Bible's not a downer book? It's an upper book. Amen. And then he gives us several reasons to be encouraged. And I want to just give you a few of them today. And I'm going to try to just encourage you, no matter what you're experiencing, many trials, uh, many trials for a while. You're, you're, you're juggling many different difficulties, many different things. And sometimes it's all you can do to get up and go to work, get up and function. And, and sometimes, boy, you really get, get fought about getting up and going to church. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you today. First, Peter says, we are just passing through. He said, now let me encourage you. Let me give you joy. He says, we're just passing through. Verse 1 says, to God's chosen people who are temporary residents in the world. 
See, I don't see the world like my home. I see it like a hotel. I'm checked in for a while. But one day I'm going to check out of this hotel. Amen? So he says, we're only passing through. Now, what's he telling us? He's telling us, no matter what you're going through, all the trials for a while, this too shall pass. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm not going to build a house in the valley. I'm not going to forever going to be in the valley, but I'm just walking through the valley. I'm walking through this world. This is not my home. I've got another home on the way. And so right now, I'm encouraged that I'm just passing through. See, when, when times get tough, and they will in this world, the Bible says in this world you will have tribulation. But fear not, I've overcome the world, said Jesus. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. People are going to let you down. Circumstances aren't going to go your way. What you thought was going to happen over here doesn't happen. Something else happens over there. Sometimes your expectations experience, uh, um, well, they don't happen. Your expectations don't come to pass like you thought. And there you are, you're struggling. And folks, when tough times come, we need to remember, says Peter, the temporariness of this world. The temporariness of this world. I want you to say with me, I'm just passing through. No, at Holiday Inn, you don't stay there forever. You're just passing through. Uh, listen, when you get into a hotel, you're only there for a little while, and then you're just passing through. I want you to see this world. It's not your home. You're just passing through. This world will not last forever, and shock, neither will you or me. We will not last forever. John said, this world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Amen? There's going to come a time. When you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are going to go to an infinitely superior, eternal home. Amen. Paul the Apostle said, what we suffer now is nothing. Everybody say nothing. What you're suffering now, it's nothing. It can't be compared to the glory he's going to reveal to us later, just down the road, just around the corner. Before you know it, we're going to see Jesus face to face. And when we do, all the sufferings of this present time are going to instantly disappear from our memory as we look into the face of the one who died for us and are instantly made to be just like him. For he, when we see him, we shall be like him. Amen. That should encourage us. Hebrews says that the heroes of the faith, all the heroes of the faith, looked at life this way. They were looking for a better place. I'm quoting Hebrews eleven sixteen. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. God has prepared a heavenly city for them. Listen to those words, better, heavenly, heavenly, better place, heavenly homeland, heavenly city. Heavenly means heavenly, but you can't grasp what heavenly really means here because eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, heaven's going to blow our minds. One day you and I are going to be fully alive in a heavenly homeland, in a heavenly city. So Peter says, be encouraged. Can we give the Lord a hand of thanks for what is coming? What is coming? 
Now, a second source of encouragement from Peter, he says, listen, you have a living hope. Not only are you going to an eternal heavenly homeland, but you have a living hope. Not a dead hope, but it's a living hope. Now, I don't know about you, but personally, in, in this dark world, I mean, if I just even read the news in the morning, sometimes I regret it, the things that are happening in our nation that I never would have thought would ever, ever darken the doors of this country. But in order to stay strong in a dark world, I need daily mega doses of hope. What about you? I need hope. I need hope. I love hope. Listen, I love to have hope inside of me. But you know the Bible calls our God the God of hope? He's the God of hope. He gives hope. Our hope is sourced in him. And, and I want you to know today that God wants you to be immersed. He wants believers to be immersed in, covered in, literally baptized in a living, breathing, pulsating, daily hope. Now, hope means that when things are hopeless, we have hope. In other words, hope's not good, or what good is hope if you can't use it when things look hopeless? Amen? Let me put it another way. Hopeless times are the worst times to stop hoping. Can I say that again? Hopeless times are the worst times to stop hoping. You say, well, Jeff, if it's hopeless, shouldn't I just be hopeless too? No, because God gives hope when things are hopeless. God gives hope when things are hopeless. If you look around you and you don't see any reason to have hope, you need to look up because hope doesn't come from here. Hope comes from here, from looking up. And, and listen to what Peter says. Peter says, he says, I want you to ground your hope. Here, here's where our hope comes from. I want you to ground your hope in Jesus' resurrection. Here's the verse. God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, underline the word living because the Christian hope is a living hope. It's not a crazy hope. It's not a hopeless hope. It's not a nutty hope. It's not a useless hope. It is a living hope. It's a living hope. Why? Because we're putting our hope in a living Savior who was dead, but now he's alive. He was in the grave, but now he's up from the grave. He is a resurrected Savior because Jesus got up from the grave. We can have hope in the most hopeless of times. Hope will carry you when times are hopeless because our hope is in the eternal resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Now, now, the opposite of a living hope is a false hope, a false hope. I mean, our world is full of false hope. Take lottery tickets. Every time somebody buys a lottery ticket, they are, they are banking on a false hope that they will win. You know, Jeff, they might win. Well, one out of 30 million, 40 million chances, yeah, but I'm going to call that a false hope. And even when they do win, they cling to the false hope that it's going to be the answer to their unhappiness because they believe money is going to now make them happy. When they can buy that car and buy that house and have that status and move to that beach, they believe they're going to be happy. But you know what? They rarely are. I looked up statistics on lottery winners. It shows that nearly one-third of lottery winners eventually declare bankruptcy. One-third of them. And they also find themselves immediately exploited by friends. Hey, friend, people come out of the woodwork you haven't seen in 10 years. Hey, I've been thinking about you. 
Yeah, they heard that you won millions of dollars, and now all of a sudden, here comes those friends that, that, wow, you haven't seen in so long, but now they really want to buddy up to you, and you know that they don't want you. They want yours. They want your money. And 70% of lottery winners squander or lose it within five years. Not me. Now, I never bought a ticket. By the way, if you do and you win, we will take that tithe. Now, I'm not telling you to go buy tickets. Oh, Lord, bless me with a ticket. Pastor Jeff needs that money. Don't do it. It won't work. But 70% of winners squander it all within five years. And not just that kind of false hope. False religions built on false promises that create false security are everywhere. Paul warned that in the last days, you're going to find, I'm quoting now, you're going to find that there will be times when people will turn their backs on the truth of Jesus and chase mirages. A mirage is a false hope. A mirage, you're driving down a Texas highway, we've all seen it. It's in the middle of July, you're driving down a blacktop highway, and up ahead you see those ripples that look just like water down the way. But as you draw near, it all disappears. That's a mirage. We've all seen movies of somebody lost in the desert crawling through sand. Suddenly they think they see that water out there, those ripples of water. They say, I'm saved, I'm saved. And and, and as they crawl to it, it all disappears and they have hot sand sifting through their trembling fingers. And the only reason that they thought there was something there is it's it's a mirage. It was a false hope. And people chase mirages all the time. They chase false hope all the time. They're on every corner. False hope, mirages are on every corner. And not just false religion or mirages like I just described, but the false American hope that accumulating riches and and, and fame and houses and luxury cars and hitting it big is going to bring happiness. That's proven wrong every single day across the land. That's chasing a mirage. Stuff doesn't make you happy. Jesus said your life doesn't consist in the things you possess. You don't have life because of what you possess. You have life because of who you know. And his name is Jesus, and he is the one that gives life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Dave Ramsey said we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. All with the false hope that status and popularity are going to make us happy, but they don't. Because happiness is an inside job. Happiness comes from getting right with God. When we get right with God, we experience the peace of God. And when we get the peace of God, that's where happiness comes from. The closer I get to Jesus, the happier I am. Amen? Millions of people... Every day, right now in our country, are out chasing mirages, dreams that aren't real. One author that wrote a book on happiness discovered in his research that about 20% of Americans are genuinely happy, claim to be genuinely happy, 20%. And I'm going to tell you one major cause of the lack of happiness in the United States of America. Maybe you don't feel happy today. Can I tell you, Jesus is the way to joy and happiness, getting right with God, stopping the struggle, stopping the war between you and God, 
getting your sin covered, knowing that your sin is forgiven. That is the way to happiness. Until you do that, you're not going to be happy. One major cause of the lack of happiness is when your hope is placed in a false promise that brings disappointing results. And those disappointing results leave you living in the shadow land of disillusionment. And I want to call you out of that today and tell you if you want to be happy, get close to Jesus. He was happy. He said, happy are you if you do the word of God that I tell you. He said, happy are you if you do my commandments. But the living hope we have because we're followers of Jesus is not based on wishful thinking or false hope. The hope Peter talks about is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am not going to lose my hope as long as my hope is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen? Amen. Peter calls it a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, a third reason for encouragement Peter gives us is our inheritance in Christ is secure. Nothing's going to steal our inheritance in Christ. How many of you have ever been robbed? How many of you ever had anything stolen from you? You left it laying around somewhere, an iPhone, a watch, something like that. Somebody lifted it and took it away. Isn't that a terrible feeling? But can I tell you that that your riches in Jesus can never be stolen by devil or man. Nobody will ever steal the wealth that you have accrued in Jesus Christ. You say, what are you talking about, Jeff? How do we accrue wealth? Jesus said, you can't take anything with you, but you can send things ahead of you. Let me say that again. You can't take anything with you. I, I read a story a while back where a man, a wealthy man who had been an Elvis fan, died, and he had a sports car that he somehow related to Elvis Presley, and he ordered that after his death at his burial, they would dig a hole big enough to put that car down in the ground with him at the driver's wheel. But let me tell you what, he did not take that car into eternity with him. You can't take anything with you, but you can send it ahead of you. Amen? Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven. Notice, he said, you can store them up, store up for yourselves. There is, there is a heavenly bank account. There is a heavenly ledger. There is a heavenly account in your name. And Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust can't corrupt and thieves can't get in there and steal it. Amen. Your inheritance in Christ, says Peter, can never perish. God has given us, he says, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, and that ought to encourage us. It's not going to be affected by inflation. It's not going to be affected by thievery. It's not going to be affected or stolen away or dwindle in any way, shape, or form. Whatever we have stored away in heaven is going to be kept in heaven. So, Jeff, how do I get treasure in heaven? Serve the Lord. Touch others in his name. Live for him. Use your gift, the gift that God gave you. Don't let your life be wasted on trivialities, but live for God. I'm so thankful he touched me when I was young. 
When I was still a teenager, he touched me. I've served him my entire life. I'm not bragging on me. The grace of God kept me. But listen, I'm greedy for one thing. I want those treasures in heaven. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And, and I, want to, I want to enjoy for eternity what, what I've laid up, what I have stored up serving him on this earth. Can I tell you, that's worth living for. Jesus is worth living for. He's the only one worth giving your life to. Every treasure that we get on earth is going to rust through, wear out, burn up, waste away, be stolen, neglected, spoiled, go out of fashion, or simply be cast aside. But the treasure laid up for us in glory will never do any of those things. Peter says, our eternal treasure can never spoil, perish, or fade away. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? Peter says, our eternal treasure is never going to be robbed. And he got that from Jesus. Our treasure in heaven is secure. Can we say that together? My treasure in heaven is secure. So anybody feeling encouraged yet today? You feeling encouraged yet today? Yeah. Now here's a fourth reason for encouragement. God is using our trials to refine our faith. He's using our trials to refine our faith. Verse 7, these trials are only to test your faith. Peter says, the trials you're going through, the multiple trials you're going through, are only allowed by God to test your faith, to show that it's strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, and your faith is much more precious to God than gold. So put another way, God never wastes a pain you go through. Wherever you're hurting, somebody's left you, somebody's walked out on you, or you're struggling financially, or you've got some temptation that's running a number on you, you've hit some hard times. Can I tell you, hard times are the worst times to stop trying. Because God is working in you a purified faith. God is at work. See, we focus on the trials. We focus on where we are. God focuses on where we're going. We focus on who we are. God focuses on who we will be. And God is working our trials right now to purify our faith so that we are more like Jesus we look like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, touch other people like Jesus, love like Jesus, patient like Jesus, strong like Jesus. Anybody in here want to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to love him. I want to walk like he did. I want to be strong in my inner man like he was. I want to, I want to love other people like he did. I want to see signs and wonders like he did. I want to reach the world like he did. I want to have the character that he did. Never ruffled, never troubled, never uptight, never freaked out, always in charge, always calm. I want to be like Jesus. So my trials are right now, God is using my trials to work into me a stronger faith and a greater character, the character of Jesus Christ. You know that I love cycling. I, I cycle all the time. I, I did 50 miles so far this week. Not bragging. I'm just saying that's, that's not bad. I did 50 miles. Now you're thinking motorcycling. Big deal. You rode a motorcycle 50 miles. No, I'm talking about pedaling. All right? Now, I, I did a ride this week. It was a long ride, and I hit a hill. And this hill, this hill was a hill. 
this was not the kind of hill you want to run into on a bike. And, and, and so I started up this hill, and I put it in high gear, and so I got these little, you know, these little, the pedaling is faster. But then, but then I realized there was this fierce wind coming down against me while I'm going up the hill. And I thought, oh, great, I'm turning around. This is no fun. And then it occurred to me, you want to be strong? Keep going up the hill. Go against the wind. Don't let the hill bother you. Because even though this is not fun, when you turn around, you get to go down. And in the meantime, you're going to be stronger because not only did you go uphill, but you went against the wind. Listen, folks, sometimes life is uphill against the wind. And we wonder, why has God allowed life to go uphill against the wind in my life? Here's why. Because he wants your faith to be muscular. He wants your faith to be strong. He wants you to be a giant killer. He wants you to have an answer and not be a question mark. He wants you to touch people and affect them for Jesus. So it's going to take faith muscles. So that's why he allows an uphill climb against the wind. And isn't it fun when you get to the top of the hill and, man, you are breathing hard and you're sweating, but you look and you know you get to go downhill with the wind at your back. Amen. That's life. Now, the last thing, the last reason for encouragement, I'm going to close. God gives us inexpressible joy in the midst of our trials. It says, you love him even though you have never seen him, though not seeing him, you trust him. And even now you are happy with the inexpressible joy that comes from heaven itself. Now I want you to underline the words in your Bible, even now. Look what he says, even now. Everybody say now. When? Now you are happy. When are you happy? Now. What are you happy with? Inexpressible joy that comes from where? Where does it come from? Heaven itself. That proves that joy doesn't come from here. Joy comes from here. Inexpressible joy comes from above, and it doesn't care what the circumstances are. I'm preaching good. I want you guys to catch this now. It doesn't matter what's going on out here. Because joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is dependent on being hooked up with God through Jesus Christ. And he says, even now, this means today, this day, this moment, in the heat of your trials, even now, you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy that you can't put words to because it doesn't make sense. How do I have joy in the middle of trouble? It comes from heaven above. It's a God thing. He gives me joy in my trials. Peter was writing to Christians whose lives were at stake every day. They had lost their jobs, lost their family, had been thrown in jail, and many of them were being martyred. But he said to them, even now, even now, even now, in your now, right this moment, you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Say with me, everybody, even now, even now. In your darkest hour, Christ is there to give you inexpressible joy. So let's stand together, can we, today? Say with me, I'm just passing through. I have a living hope. My inheritance is secure. My faith is being perfected. And I have inexpressible joy from heaven. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Amen. So I want us to read together this verse one more time. Read it out loud with me. Are you ready? So be truly glad even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. Amen. Let's bow. Father, thank you. 
for giving us encouragement in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what we're going through, you're there. No matter what we're going through, you give us joy. No matter what we're going through, you're going to work it for our good. Thank you, Lord, that we're in a win-win walking with Jesus. And that's a fact. Now, Lord, I pray for people in trials today. If you've got multiple trials going on in your life, would you raise your hand right now and just say, boy, this spoke to me. I needed this today. Raise them high. Come on. Multiple trials. Amen. Multiple trials. I pray that spoke to you today and encouraged you today. And I want to pray with anybody who can say, you know, Jeff, this has been a good message, but I'm not so sure that I know Jesus. I just want to take a minute and pray with you. See, if there's a question mark in your mind about it, then you need to settle it. And what a great time to settle it right now. Because Jesus wants to come into your life and be Lord of your life, change your life, better your life, and one day take you to that heavenly country that is truly our home. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, Jeff, I do have a question mark. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you, uh, but I want you to acknowledge it. Say, Jeff, I I do have a question mark about my walk with God, my salvation, and I'll let you pray with me. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Amen. You know what? Not one. You know what that tells me? We could all go out and bring somebody who needs him. Amen? I mean, I'm okay with there not being one. That's fine. But that tells me we need to reach people who need Jesus. Amen? Because I'm fine with that. That's good. As a matter of fact, since everybody's saved, we ought to thank God for that. Everybody's saved. Amen. That's all right. But I want to pray for you if you are in the midst of many trials. Raise your hand again. Let me pray for you right where you are. Father, I pray for these precious people. Lord, how we need the encouragement of God. How we need the touch of God. How we need the peace of God. And Lord, we need to see the God side of our trials. What he's accomplishing. What he's carrying us through. So Lord, I pray for encouragement to replace their discouragement. And I pray that, Lord, you will give hope where there's hopelessness. I pray that, Lord, you will give, uh, uh, Lord, a vision where the vision has been obscured. I pray, Lord, that you will inject us with divine encouragement in our inner man. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is good.